Podcast listeners, you are listening to another episode of The Long Journey Home. I am your host, Corbin Johnson. Welcome. Uh, this is the daily news episode for Monday, January 13th, 2014. Let's go ahead and jump in and do the news. We want to thank our one of our field agents, uh, Mr. Daniel Madison, for throwing my way that South Africa held its first tournament, possibly ever, in the history of Star Trek CCG. On um, it was recently, uh, I think it was this weekend. Uh, Fritz Messiner, Fritzinger, or Fritzinger on the message boards. And four other players met in Cape Town, South Africa to play second edition. Nearly everyone came with a transwarp deck. Uh, two of the uh, players were are a little bit more seasoned and had been playing 1E for some time, but had uh, for about a year and a half and had played a little bit of 2E. But they found that they were able to get five players together to play 2E. And with uh, all the transwarp decks, everyone seemed to have a good time. The venue closed two minutes early, so they had to wrap up one of their games uh, in a hurry. But nonetheless, what an amazing feat. Uh, Ferengi, Cardassian Capture, TOS, Romulan with Security Denial, and some sort of Voyager, some kind of Voyager deck were played. And Ferengi, I believe, went on to win the day. So that is exciting news. Five players in South Africa. Maybe we'll have Worlds there. Maybe not. Stuvi, Matthias Kirali, is the new director of Organized Play. He is taking over for James Hoskins after he stepped down. Stuvi is one of the founding members of the Continuing Committee. And because of him taking on this new role, the Continuing Committee is looking for a new Australian Organized Play director. Kentucky Nationals, or Nationals, for the United States will be taking place next week in Kentucky at the Hyatt Place Lexington in Lexington, Kentucky. It will consist of a 1E block tournament, followed by a 2E standard tournament, followed by a triples tournament. The 1E block format tournament starts Saturday, January 18th at 10.30 a.m. Nine players have pre-registered for that. The second edition standard tournament begins at 3.30 p.m. 13 players have pre-registered. Both events are also league tournaments, league events for the Charlotte, North Carolina League, Deck 42. The triples tournament will start at 8 p.m. on the same day, and so far five players have pre-registered for that. That's going to be a lot of fun for everyone going. I know a lot of local players are going to that, so I wish them all the best of luck and... I can't wait to hear all the fun stories. During the raffle that took place on Saturday morning, um, the chairman himself, Charlie Plain, dropped a hint that nine new triples buttons will be released during 2014 in tournament kits. And the raffle itself was a resounding success. My best wishes 
to Dan and his new member of the family. Coming out to host the raffle that day was pretty exciting and was definitely going above and beyond. So the whole community thanks you for that. I think everyone had a good time. And it is interesting to note, um, maybe Malways should get on this, but Ryan Sutton, I believe, won uh, three random cards during the uh, chat prize portion of the game. Uh, I did take two of those as well, so I wonder if there's something up with that software or if we just happen to be incredibly lucky. Anywho, that is your news for today. Let's move on to the top five list. Today's top five list, uh, continuing on with our theme of going through each expansion one by one, starting with first edition and discussing the top five cards from those sets, is First Contact. First Contact is the next setup. Uh, after that, we're going to hit Fajo Collection. That's next week or uh, next time. Probably another episode this week. Uh, let's start with some honorable mentions here. So it's a top five list. Uh, first Contact actually had a lot of interesting cards in it. And kind of, I'd say it's sort of, since it was the first non-TNG only set to come out, it, it really paved the way for some interesting themes that later came on down the line. And we'll talk about those in the top five. Some honorable mentions, though, include Espionage Mission, of course, uh, Visicock Memorial, Change of Plans, Temporal Vortex, Mercy Kill, Intermix Ratio, Maglock, and Ubi Doobie. All of those are very interesting cards that kind of shook the, the game a bit. So let's start with the top five. With, let's start with number five on this list. The Borg Queen. This is the first personnel that I've put on a top five list, and I don't intend to put a lot of personnel on the list. Personnel are not the sort of card type that tends to shake up a game, but I picked the Borg Queen kind of as... Uh, she kind of represents the whole well, collective, or in this case, affiliation, in terms of just a unique affiliation, the first new affiliation since the beginning of the game, and I guess other than neutral. And uh, she she is one of the first and only cards that really is, just grabs you a skill you need, and she... Uh, the, this was the first set to deal with downloading quite a bit, and she says, you know, download in place for a draw a drone. So, you know, <laughs> these, this is a theme that, is, you know, they busted the game wide open with this whole thing, and this was just something that was, oh, totally new and, and very exciting, and people loved playing Borg, I think. And the Borg were so weird, and just the rules were copious and I think yeah it was it was just a you know big important card and it changed the game obviously number four is remodulation uh, this is kind of uh, I say that the set started some themes here and this was I'd say the unofficial first card in the hexany because this was an interrupt that you could play at any time without limit uh, to discard one to two cards from your hand to draw an equal number. Now, it's not a net gain, right? You'll discard two and draw one because you include the card play. Or you discard three to draw two. But at the same time, this was unheard of in 1E and there really was no other kind of thing going for this. There's Paler Toph, 
And then, you know, we've got... So Toph... I'm sorry. Paler Toph is number one in the Hexany. But Remodulation, I don't think was officially part of the Hexany, but definitely had a little Hexany feel to it. So that's why I put it on the top five list. Number three, Launch Portal. Launch Portal is currently banned in OTF for good reason. It lets you suspend play to download a ship. Um, it, it's, a, it's a ship downloader. It's, it's a very good card on its own. And there were a lot of decks that took advantage of this. Things like uh, Pyre for Hire, I believe, was that sort of deck archetype. Took, care, took great lengths to use this card. It's a doorway so you can, you know, just play it. It doesn't cost a card play. So it's a very important card, and it's it needs to be revisited and rethought. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it definitely deserves a spot on this list just because of the power of this card. Number two, Ready Room Door, uh, another very important card. And not banned, just very useful, lets you get a personnel. You don't get to draw any cards that turn, but you get to download the Magic Commander of a ship. So that was exciting, and that was different. And you could get a Captain's Order, and this started the whole Captain's Order thing. So, essentially, uh, free plays were not really a thing yet. I mean, Visit Cochran Memorial definitely also introduced the idea of free plays. I guess there was Androids, so uh, you got them as a, as a free play engine, too. And they became very popular. But, uh... Thank you. Um... So here, here's just another kind of way to get a free play. You would have to sacrifice your card draws, but it's still, it was an important, new, interesting way to, to think about the game, and it introduced the whole idea of commanders as well. So, The number one card in First Contact on this list is Regenerate. Not because of its ability to repair your Borg cube, which I'm not sure that was important or necessary. I mean, I guess it was. You didn't want to have to... Uh, go running all the way back to the Delta Quadrant just to repair your ship. But the the ability to shuffle your discard pile into your deck was was probably something that had a long time coming. And especially with the new rules, of course, you know, I forgot to mention that the new 30-30 rule, uh, no more than 30 cards in your seed deck and no less than 30 cards in your draw deck. This was a whole new thing where decks had to be exactly 60 cards. So uh, given this there was a need for something to shuffle your discard pile back into your draw deck, and this was the this was the answer at the time. No isomagnetic yet. And this card was very popular, and you'd see it in a lot of decks. So uh, that just goes to show just how important of a card this was. So again, next time, Fajo Collection. Next up, let's do some form matters. I gotta change this music. Anyway, the uh, face-up cards under the Q's Tent Civil War have officially been ruled, or at least ruled by the Rules Master in special blue text in the forums, that those face-up cards are definitely not uh, to be viewed by the opponent. There was a big controversy, it seemed, for a few, uh, a couple of weeks where people in Europe for continentals or worlds or something were looking at the these cards and they say okay let me see yours and I'll show you mine and I'll thing and there's there was absolutely no precedent in the rules for this people then are starting to ask the question well then why are they face up the best answer that anyone seems to be able to give including the rules master has been 
just to simply differentiate those cards from the other cards in the tent. It brings, a, it brings to question why the card ever did that in the first place. Why didn't the card simply say, you can see 26 cards and uh, highly recommend you use 13 of them for ref cards, that sort of thing. So, anywho, uh, that matter has been settled by our rules committee. And then on a sadder note, Nutter's Clan has put his entire 1E set or one e, uh, or at least one entire one e collection, it appears, up for sale on uh, on the message boards, and he says he's still going to continue playing the game, but he simply needs to get rid of some possessions and get rid and, and make some money. So I don't blame him. It's uh, you know it's how it goes. Uh, with all cards printable, it's going to be interesting to see how the price of one e fluctuates in the next few. Uh, few months and years to come and second edition as well but uh you know uh if anyone's interested definitely pm nutters clan and uh yeah let's move on to uh well we got some feedback from our listeners um one in particular a listener said that he disagrees with me on data's new image uh he says that he likes it and thinks i'm wrong uh and i still think i'm right but uh that's okay uh, he also went on to mention that he would like more discussion of 2nd Edition. I'll be doing that. In fact, I thought I'd mention here that up in a future episode of The Long Journey Home, I will do another revisiting of Relativity, future thoughts on that. So uh, stay tuned for that. And if I get the time, I do intend to make a video discussing how I play relativity as well and show off some examples, but that's in the works and may not happen for a while. All right, let's move on to our philosophy of Trek statement. This is the philosophy of Trek segment. It's a tribute to Mark Rosewater's Driving to Work podcast about creativity. Well, this one is not mashing up two ideas, but I've been watching a lot of the original series. Um, there was a great deal on the Blu-rays on Amazon a few months ago, so I purchased them, and I've been going through them one by one in airing order, and I just finished watching Miri, and I put a post on it on the message boards, and mm, people have mixed opinions on the uh, validity of there being some Earth at random, just in... Anyway, I'm getting off, uh, I'm getting off topic here. What I want to talk about, though, was an, is androids. And we'll talk about them in the game. We'll talk about them in the show, in all the shows. And then we'll talk about them in real life. And so, let's start off by talking about androids in the game. Androids in the game, there's, there's been androids in first edition since the beginning of the game. There was uh, Data. And a lore was represented by a couple of events. So presumably, maybe the designers of the game weren't sure what to do with lore at the time. But lore's fingernail, lore turns, there's the exocomp. So there was some idea of there's going to be some androids to deal with. But we don't really know what we want to do with them yet. No Dr. Song either, right? Not a whole thing. So the game progresses... We find that cybernetics means you get to play androids for free, which was pretty cool, except androids were really, really good. And so I'm if you weren't playing with androids, you probably were doing something wrong. So 
and that that's been probably an ongoing issue for One E. Um, so Cybernetic Expertise finally came out with Holodeck Adventures and uh, tried to attempt to at least get these rules on a card somewhere, even if at the end of the day, Androids are still ridiculously good. Uh, I, the only drawback to Androids right now, in first edition at least, is the fact that there aren't a lot of them. There was a few added in the Delta Quadrant with in the Borg. Uh, oh no, in Holodeck Adventures, excuse me. But they remain, I'd say, underrepresented. And there's just not a lot of them. You, try to, you can't really build a deck around Androids, but you can definitely put Androids in a deck. And they kind of regained some popularity when the next generation came out. And they got put into Federation decks. So, anyway, uh, androids, right? So, what is an android? It's a, it's a robot that has humanoid-like uh, components that looks humanoid, that you can interact with like a human. So, almost a robot that is human-like or, or attempts to be human. And that's a metaphor that we see over and over again. We see in Data, right? He is Pinocchio. He is uh, the, the android who wants to be human. <clears throat> and so, well, so what are androids? Um, and and what, what, how did they evolve on Star Trek as well? Are, are androids a metaphor for something? Were androids this idea of like inevitability, this is what's going to happen. Are, are androids just, you know, the next evolution of humans? Are we all going to be androids? And these were all interesting questions that kind of got raised as Star Trek went on. Um, and, you know, first of all, you, you know, I'm seeing, as I'm watching the original series, um, oh, and, and are androids, you know, were they, or are they just a plot device? Is, was it Star Trek kind of saying, well, we need something that's more interesting than some guy with prosthetics on, or we can't afford prosthetics this week, so we'll just say they're an android. Uh, so, in, in, <clears throat> by the eighth episode, or, or by the seventh episode of the original series, there had already been two whole episodes devoted to androids. You've had Mud's Women, or no, Mud's Women wasn't androids. The androids were a later episode. So I guess there's just the one episode, um, which was uh, uh, What Are Little Girls Made Of? And you've got Dr. Roger Corby and Rook and all that going on. And, you know, what, what was the point, right? You know, there was this, well, these androids were apparently replacements for other life forms um and and it's interesting right you know you look just just to take a side note at trek continuity these androids seem pretty darn sophisticated and you've got you know you've got data and everyone's like oh data you know you're the you're the most advanced uh android and the only one of kind only of your kind that exists in the entire universe so or at least in the galaxy that we know of and uh, so, what made Data so special? I mean, there were androids left and right in the original series. So, you know, that's kind of a side note. And it's, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's still interesting to think about. But so, androids, were they, are they a metaphor for something? Well, they, maybe they are. Maybe androids are just, we, we have this fascination of computers, right? 
and definitely that started in the 60s or even the 50s where we had these huge rooms of vacuum tubes just clickety-clacketing, making like missile uh, guidance software. You'd have your punch cards and uh, programming for them was not easy and they'd be running all the time and our computers still do, but then they get smaller and faster and technology, well, where is it all going, right? Are we... What, where does it all end? Are, are we going to become computer? You know, well, that's not, that's not the intuitive leap, but the, the question is there, right? Uh, we have this fascination of computers. Are we a computer? Are we, are our thought, you know, we know that electricity governs how we think in our brains and our nervous system, but it's still chemical. Uh, are we, you know, if you remove that, we're nothing. If you remove the chemical, we're nothing. We're this interesting hybridization of the two. So can a computer be sentient? And can we... Uh, are, are we just computers in the end? Uh, how do we think? And, you know, very metaphysical. And uh, yeah, what... It, maybe Maybe androids, you know at least in the original series, maybe they were just a metaphor for who who are we, right? You know, it's exploration. Uh, the show's about exploration. It's seeing what else is out there and what, what, what will become of us in the future. And so the first big question was, well, like immortality, right? You know, how... If... if our lives are finite and there's nothing we can do about it, well, well, actually, maybe there is. Maybe we can put our bodies, our minds, into a body. But then are we, you know, and that's what our, what our little girl's made of, are we actually uh, us if we just download our brain into uh, an android? And, well, there, and, and we, we revisit that in The Schizoid Man from TNG, and we see uh, Ira Graves, it's Ira Graves, I think, um, put his mind in data and to know him as to love him and to love him as to know him and all that. And we were left wondering, well, is that really him? You know, well, and then he hurts uh, his assistant and all this stuff. And you have to wonder, you know, so, it, it, and then, right, Dr. Roger Corby, he... Uh, you know, Christine's not exactly in love with the robot once she finds out he's a robot. And then he, you know, he commits suicide with the other android chick. And I don't know. Uh, it's it's very, it's a big question. You know, is it just a plot device? You know, Roger Corby isn't who he really is, right? Maybe he's a hologram, right? And that was, you know, and holograms, right? You know, you start to think about holograms. Who... They're just, are they just androids, right? They're, they're less, you know, a sentient hologram, right, is, it, they have rights too, right? And this whole thing. And so um, maybe the metaphor isn't so much who we can become, or it's more uh, a race metaphor, right? It's different. Uh, it's just another race, like, you know, Humanity's past the whole like uh, racial problem, or not problem. It's not a problem. it's the wrong word. 
the whole like racial identity thing and, and separating ourselves by races. We are one human race, but if we need to do an episode about enslaving or about uh, learning from a different culture or that sort of thing, you know, are are we? Uh, is is a life right? You look at uh, measure of a man. Is data sentient? Is does he have rights? And then uh, was it dear Arthur or author? Um, do holograms have rights? Do they have rights to their own things? And so it's this. You know, it's an enslaved, and the holograms are enslaved, right? And so. And if data were ever to be copied, you know, would we just stick a data on every on every ship in the fleet? And would he? What is he then? Is he? Does he just want to be there? Would he have to be programmed to be there? Um, so, androids, I think, were definitely a metaphor for something like that, um, but not so much in the original series. That that came to be, and the holograms kind of solidified that. But, um, well, what does this have to do with the game? Right? Uh, in the game. There is, you know, the Sung type android and the universal holograms, and you can use them, and they're easy to play, and you can play them easily for free. You've got the holodeck door, you've got cybernetics expertise. Are they just tools to be used in decks? You know, are we just using them as a means to an end? Of course we are. I mean, the whole point of the game is to win, right? But uh, is there something more there? Is it like. Um, like the android is it like an android slave deck or or a hologram puts you to work deck or or something like that, or or is it um, that holograms um, you you can redshirt with them they don't die are they are they are they strictly better than humans in in our decks or not humans but um, just um, humanoids and life forms instead of these uh, computer programs. Uh, so, you, you know, it's a little harder to get them on a planet. Uh, hologram. You know, it's interesting how this conversation went from androids to holograms. Androids in the game, um, they can come back easily. You can discard a card from hand to get them back easier. So, in some ways, these, these two species are even better than just the normal swash, swath of personnel that you can use in the game. And so it's very interesting to even kind of try to combine the androids with the holograms and you've got like this, these superior species that are able to play for free in just about any deck in any place, right? Uh, the holodeck door, you can report them to any quadrant. So you could do this all in the mirror quadrant even. You get Dr. Sung out early somehow and you pop him in the mirror quadrant and then you're playing androids there for free, and they're really good. They've got good attributes. They've got good skills, and so you could just, you know, do you could make random decks with these guys. They're like augmented, additional, useful personnel that you can use to your uh, to your advantage to make interesting decks and use them as a means to an end. So, uh, yeah, what 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 are we trying to take away from this? What's the message here? Well, they're certainly not just plot devices, or at least I don't think they were. Maybe in a couple episodes, oh, you know, there was the one Voyager episode where the, the people, the androids were, they were a means to an end, right? They were an enslaved race that 
were used to fight a war on their behalf. And so uh, we see that, you know, the two, if you look at the two personnel and the two ships, I think they're, they have the exact same stats. You just kind of had to pick one. And uh, if you wanted to augment your deck with these guys and hope your opponent, if they were doing the same, uh, was either using the same race or, or, the, the, or the different one, or if they were reusing the different one, they had the nemesis icon, and then you had to worry about that. But, and that was an interesting little idea for the game. Um, didn't go very far, but... Um, so, yeah, so, you know, plot device, no. Were they a metaphor? Yeah, they were a metaphor for a lot of things, and that was interesting. And, um, yeah, androids are, you know, f- for sure, um, I think Data is one of my favorite characters from the next generation. Um, I think everyone loved Data <laughs> to some degree because he was the, he was the child that, uh, was exploring and he was the audience proxy almost and people could relate to him and he had the most interesting stories and he had a, a more interesting background than some of the other characters and he had a fantastic arc over seven years uh Riker was meh uh you know he could go on and on uh Picard you know he finally liked children at like the end of season two so yay you know whatever and he became a better captain over seven years and all that but uh you know Data was interesting and um was he just Spock you know no I don't think he was just Spock I think he was um this amazing resource that the crew was able to use but he was also a valuable friend for everyone so uh I think I blathered on long enough about this but um will will we someday see androids and if that's the case will they take over I don't know um we probably will. We've seen some scary-looking robots out there already. And you look at, you know, the last episode of Battlestar Galactica and the last tiny little scene where you're looking at all these weird robots and going, hmm, Cylons? I don't know. So, yeah. Anyway, um, I'll leave it there. That's enough blathering on about that. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns... Do not hesitate to leave me a voicemail at 267-CALL-CPJ. Leave me a PM at CorbinQ27 on the message boards. Or if you'd like to contribute to the show in any way, feel free to drop me a audio file at CorbinJohnson at me.com. Until next time, I'm going to sign off saying so long. This is Corbin Johnson saying so long and thanks for all the trek. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. To find out more about that license, visit creativecommons.org slash licenses slash by dash nc dash sa slash 3.0. Our theme music is Space Ace by Mark Teicher. Other songs included are Inspiration and Mission Briefing by Mark Teicher. Our outro song is Teleporter by Dungeon Kimura. You can find out more about these artists at jamendo.com. J-A-M-E-N-D-O.com. And each of those is released under the same or similar Creative Commons licenses as this podcast.